welcome to another episode of the Hubscale podcast. This week's amazing guest is Brandon Ho, VP of Marketing at Oxdie. Brandon, it's great to have you on. It's my pleasure, Connor. Thank you so much. I guess for our listeners who don't know much about you or Oxdie, can you give a, a quick introduction? Uh, yeah, really quickly, a little bit about me. I was originally born and raised in Malaysia, but I've been here in the United States for over 20 years now. I uh, started my career as an engineer, uh, very painfully doing very uh, writing code in assembly language. And anyone who knows that will know how painful it is. Uh, I made a switch uh, in my careers by going to, first going to business school and then moving into product management and product marketing. Then ran my own marketing agency for about 10 or 11 years where I worked primarily with small to mid-sized companies and startups. Uh, as well as Fortune, really up to Fortune 100 companies, uh, helping them out with their marketing, their storytelling. Uh, eventually, I kind of fell into the cybersecurity landscape uh, by happenstance. A friend of mine was the chief operating officer of a, uh, a cybersecurity startup, and he's, he said, hey, we really need help with marketing. Is this something you're interested in talking about? Uh, and then lo and behold, I ended up in a CMO position there. Uh, which was the first step in uh, in a number of steps in, in the cybersecurity sphere, if you will. Uh, Oxi is uh, an application security startup where that I head marketing for right now. I've been here at the company since mid-September. It's based in Tel Aviv, even though I'm based here in the on the east coast of the United States. Um, we're at seed stage and we're doing something um, that I consider very revolutionary. Uh, although the, the challenge, of course, is trying to, to cut through all the noise um, in, in a well-established space and, and, and get the word out there that what we're doing is legitimately helping people to, to improve their application security, but more importantly, just their, uh, their lives because we're, we're eliminating a lot of the nonsense and the inefficiencies that, that uh, have really pervaded application security and have become so commonplace that people don't really pay attention to it anymore. A lot of companies are neglecting it, unfortunately, but no, hopefully with your work you're doing with Oxide that you can shed some light on that and help some fantastic customers out. But no, perfect. Thank you for that introduction, Brandon. It's an extraordinary career going from engineering to product marketing to managing your own marketing business to now four startups being the first market leader in four startups. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a... Yeah, I'm just curious to learn a little bit more about how, talk about a bit more about them early days and how it led you to where you are. When you say early days, you're talking my own life or? It can be early, let's say, early, yeah. How, yeah. How did it get to where you are? Uh, by a very circuitous route and through a, a stroke of extraordinary luck. Uh, <laughs> I grew up in a lower middle class family in Malaysia, never imagining that I would, be able to afford to come to the United States to attend university here. Uh, I did extremely well in high school. I mean, you know, it's, it's high school. It's not that big a deal. <laughs> but I was fortunate that I managed to get, uh, my parents couldn't afford to send me to, to university, even in Malaysia. It was just out of, we just couldn't afford it. Um, and through an extraordinary, like I said, stroke of luck, my dad happened to run across the CEO of the company that he was working for. Uh, told him my story and the guy said uh, come into my office and let's chat and he altered the course of my of my history um, by offering me a full ride to go to college first in Malaysia and then uh, here here in the United States uh, in fact uh, my I've, I told my wife this story and she when we had to name our first daughter uh, 
she decided she she suggested that we actually name our daughter after that the guy the ceo so he, he's uh left a legacy that beyond himself that i don't that he's not aware of unfortunately because he passed away a few years yeah. ago that's uh that's an exceptional like you say you never even thought you could live in the u.s let alone afford college yeah and precisely you, you... yeah and i mean like, you know, growing up in a in a family where um where resources were scarce, financial resources were scarce. You just learn to develop um, a hustle, man, a hustle mindset, where you try to make things happen regardless of what you have. Um, and uh, I think it's 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 helped me a lot in in the uh, first in running my own business, and then ultimately, you know, in er the early stage startups that I've been a part of. And I think that that's really important when you are at an early stage startup, because typically, unless you're, you know, you, you are a, an anomaly and, and have raised a large amount of funding, you just need to apply creativity and energy and resourcefulness to whatever you're doing in order to get stuff done. Uh, and I think that, that, that my background, I mean, it's not one I would have chosen personally, but it certainly helped me in in uh, accomplishing whatever little I've accomplished so far in in the roles that I've had. Yeah, no, definitely. Like I say, I think you you do need that hustle, especially in that startup environment, because if you're less like say an anomaly and you've created that uh, created that Absolutely. much funding, it's a, it is a struggle and it is a, it's a hustle day in day out. And if you don't have that about you, it's you're not really going to make it realistically. But no, perfect. Thank you for clearing that up. And obviously. You kind of fell into cybersecurity. I think it's the same vice versa with me. I fell into cybersecurity now as a space I definitely wouldn't want to leave because it is actually so exciting when you do get involved into it. I agree. But, yeah, but with the uh, current market conditions right now, I know it's a crazy place at the moment, but what could you recommend companies should be doing to stand out with their marketing? Oh, gosh. I, I think fundamentally, the fundamentally the product has to be good the product has to be sound whatever you're selling whether it's a product or a service has to has to provide value mm -hmm. and it in this environment where you you've seen it you see a lot of retrenchments uh, a lot of people getting laid off and so on and so forth uh, a lot of budgets being cut and or compressed or, or frozen the ability to show that the value exceeds what people are paying for it the ability to say that, you know, uh, I can help you cut costs. Mm -hmm. I can help you become more efficient. And those are things that I don't think it necessarily are because of marketing. It's built into the product or the service. But being able to communicate that message in, in an effective way and in, a, in an efficient way, I think is, is really crucial at this point in time. Yeah, no, it, yeah. Sorry, what were you going to say? Were you going to say anything else? Yeah, the funding landscape looks pretty bleak for for most companies. Yeah, and I think you know, also what's really important is being able to be very resourceful and efficient with the whatever budgets you do have. Um, so I, I think the, any marketer out there who's who wants to be successful has to keep those things in mind as they approach whatever they you know their tactics and their, their campaigns and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Like you say, there is, a, there is a lot of noise, especially specifically in AppStack right now. And, you know, to have that clear that clear message you're giving AppStack to the customers and that vision, 
so it stands out quite well. Obviously, with funding dr- drastically dropping compared to the recent years from VC firms, that yes. is something they definitely need to be aware of how they can monetize their money the correct way for the marketing budget and everything else. So no perfect bank. Yeah, I don't think people that. should. I don't think people should cut their marketing entirely. This is no. actually the the best time to continue to market when everyone else is pulling back on 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 marketing spend and and marketing tactics, but just have to be smarter about how you deploy your resources. And I think that, you know, going back to uh, what we talked about earlier about my background, when you don't have much to work with, you, you learn, you, you develop a natural tendency to be hyper resourceful and hyper efficient with, with whatever you do have. Uh, and I think that that's helpful. Yeah, no, it def- definitely is helpful. And um, four times first market leader in startups, you must have some, Fantastic advice and tips for people coming into their first marketing leader position. What tips would they be for people moving into that position? I would say that first of all, before they even accept a, a marketing leadership role, if they're in the position to do so, and I, I say this because I've had the op, I've been fortunate in that I've had the luxury of being able to kind of pick and choose my roles, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, not always well, but I, I've had I've been fortunate enough to do that. But if you are in a position to make a, I guess, a more deliberate decision about where you, you uh, take your talents and your, your, your energies, I would say the first thing is make sure that the organization that you are a part of actually believes in the marketing function. Mm-hmm. Often uh, an early startup founder or f- co-founders don't have a true understanding of what marketing entails and they automatically assume that marketing equals a large volume of leads immediately that their sales team can close on. And that's not the case, unfortunately. Um, Mm -hmm. So marketing is, uh, and if you don't mind, I'm just gonna go off on a slight tangent and talk a little bit about my philosophy about marketing, first of all. And it's informed very much by a conversation that I was, um, I guess, not really a conversation, but an interview that I was a part of when I ran my marketing agency. with the VP of sales at AT&T at the time. And what he said really stood out to me and, and is really the core of how, how I approach marketing, which is that marketing is effectively sales at scale. Uh, he said in the early days, AT&T could afford to hire as many salespeople as they, you know, as they, as there were customers. And then eventually they got to a point where the number of customers then exceeded their ability to actually hire uh, salespeople because it got, got prohibitively expensive. So that's when they started to shift towards marketing. And that's my philosophy about marketing, which is that we are conducting sales at scale. What does yeah. that translate to? One, if you're, go- if you're going to be an effective salesperson, you always have to be respectful of your, the potential customer. You always have to be mindful and empathetic to their needs. You always have to be respectful in how you communicate with them and conduct business with them. And so I apply those same, I guess, fundamental underpinnings and try to magnet, uh, you know, multiply that, the scale of, of doing that. And as, as you can imagine, that's really, really very difficult to do. Yeah. So um, that's, that's the first piece of advice that I, I'd say, you know, uh, that I, you know, I would give is like, find an organization that aligns with what you believe marketing to be that's i would only share my opinion and my philosophy that's just one guy's opinion but there has to be alignment between their expectations 
and what you believe you bring to the table. If there is not an alignment, then really you should step away from the opportunity if you can. The second is don't, it's, it's, and I think this happens very frequently at early stage companies where a first marketing leader comes on board. It's either, um, in most cases, it's uh, the first marketing hire that's, you know, or first marketing leader is someone who's been given an opportunity to take a step up, if you will. And there's a natural tendency to look at all the things that other people company have done or other companies have done and say, hey, if it worked for them, maybe we should just follow their playbook and, and follow suit. And that's really a, the biggest, I think, the biggest mistake you can make. Now, we've talked about football in the past. I, I know you like cricket, so I'm going to try <laughs> to talk about it in terms of cricket. But let's say you could look back in history and you could assemble an all-star team. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to date myself here because these are the only names I know. But if you could get Yen Botham, if you could get uh, Graham Gooch, um, Imran Khan, uh, Shane Warne, all on one team, the way you approach your tactics will be fundamentally different than if you had a secondary school team. Yeah. And it's the same thing. You, you should not, you should really tailor your marketing based on the type of assets that you have. And sometimes it could be the amount of money that you have at your disposal. Sometimes it could be your investor network or your co-founders personal network. It could be um, the people in your organization who have exceptional talents or skills or who have, I, I worked with someone in my last role who was very, very well known because um, he worked, uh, he was um, outed by, um, I think it was a Chinese hacker group uh, in the Stuxnet. I mean, if you're not familiar with it, I suggest you look it up. It's one of the, probably the most elaborate and, uh, and really ambitious, like hacking, uh, um, hacking activity that, that, that is publicly known. Uh, but we took advantage of the fact that he was a well-known figure. So again, if you're, when you're stepping into a role, you need to take stock of all the things, all the assets you have at your disposal, and then plan accordingly. You can't just say that, hey, I'm, you know, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna be the next whiz and do exactly <laughs> what whiz has done. And you know, that, that just doesn't work. So I would say that those are the two, Two main pieces of advice I would give to someone who's stepping into a, a marketing role at an early stage startup or into a first marketing leadership role at a company. No, perfect. That, that analogy was fantastic from my side. So I really do appreciate putting into yeah, cricket terms. That was just terms. for you. Most, most people <laughs> who, who listen to this will probably have they're, no idea who I'm talking about. They'll, they'll have no idea about, about them names. But I'll give a football analogy instead. If you could assemble a team of Lionel Messi and Ronaldo, and Neymar and um, I don't know who else uh, uh, in one team. You would you would the tactics that you would employ are very different from those if you were uh, playing in you know you know in a Division Two team or something like that. Yeah, no, no, definitely and it makes total sense. Like you say, nothing's gonna. There's no one master playbook which fits every company perfectly. There might be little bits to be able to take from bits you've done at another company before and or even moving from a obviously you've done this four different times now at different four different companies and what you did at one company different yeah exactly so one thing won't work what it might work for a different company so like say you've always got to be readapting that and revamping your ideas and like say take a 
take a note down of all your resources you actually have before you outline your vision and plan for that. So no, perfect. Thank you for that advice. And it's uh, really appreciated. And now I know obviously we mentioned earlier, you started off as an engineer. What actually made you decide to pursue a career in marketing instead of engineering? Uh, I will, I'll tell you this. The, the reason I, 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 I started off in an engineering role to begin with was based on, on need. Uh, I had an opportunity to go to university to, to attend engineering school uh, on a full scholarship. And although my heart wasn't fully into it, I saw that as an opportunity to position myself for whatever was next. So, you know, when you, you do what you need to, to survive uh, and, to, and to take, you know, and to eventually get to your goals. And that's what I did. Uh, in terms of marketing, I never really truly, <clears throat> excuse me, considered it as a career. I always th thought I was gonna end up as a photojournalist. Right. Um, I, I, I like the idea of telling stories. I like um, exploring people's lives and uh, I love photography. And it was, for me, that, that seemed like the natural thing to do when I started out in my, uh, I guess in my early career. Um, and, but I also understand that on, one, photojournalism is an extremely taxing and difficult job. Um, uh, and I admire those people who do it and who do it well. And it also, unfortunately, doesn't, it's not a financially lucrative pursuit. Uh, and I wanted to be able to balance my desire to make a meaningful living for myself. I, I don't care about being rich necessarily, but I, you know, I'd like to live a comfortable life. Yeah. and also pursue things that interest me and marketing seemed like the and product management actually because i was i managed i got to build things uh seemed like a good fit for my interests at the time uh, i've moved away from the product management bit of course but um you know marketing still it's evolving continually and it just keeps me interested yeah no perfect no thank you for clearing it up like you say sometimes you've got to do what you got to do and that was the the best opportunity you had to be able to pursue something further down the line or progress your career down a different avenue. So no, perfect. Thank you for clearing that up. And like I say, yeah, sometimes you probably, I'm guessing you enjoyed engineering as well at the same time. It just wasn't where your heart was fully invested uh, in. I, I would say given what I was doing at the time, I did not really enjoy engineering. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Well, like I say, I bet that was a struggle then going studying it. But like I say, it's got landed to where you are today. So you've got to be grateful and thankful for yeah. Well, it's, thankful it's for yourself. Easy for look back on, it's easy to look back in hindsight and say it was just <laughs> a, a step that I take took, you know. But at the time it was, you know, it was it was a struggle. Yeah. I knew pretty early on that I was never gonna be even a good engineer. <laughs> but no, perfect. Thank you for that. And uh obviously as I, that was a struggle, I'm guessing Throughout your career, there's been a lot of challenges. And what are some of the challenges you've actually faced since being in a, a marketing leader role? Um, there have been, uh, you know, different ones over the years based on um, the the different, I guess, companies that I've been a part of. Um, I've been a part of a bootstrapped company uh, that got was acquired. Um, I've been a part of a, you know, like an an organization that had an all-star team and that, you know, that presented its own set of challenges. Um, and um, I've been a part of an organization where the, the owner of the company just wasn't really that interested in scaling the company. 
So uh, it was very, it, that was a very interesting experience too. Um, yeah. I don't know. I don't know that there is like a single, like a single good answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a problem. Four startups being the first market leader at all four. I'm curious to know why you keep going for that or yeah, what is, what is your fascination in that in startup life? The, it's the pace. It's the pace. It's the, um, I think more than anything, I, I, I consider myself an optimist. Mm -hmm. um, and when you look at startups, you see a world of opportunity ahead of you. Yeah. You see and imagine and envision ways that you can have a small part in helping to change the world, if you will. Uh, granted, you know, these are like microscopic changes. Uh, most people will never hear about Oxide. Most people will never have a, the slightest clue what we do or care for that matter. But for those who do, I genuinely, you know, and I'm going to just restrict my, 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 uh, my description to Oxide here because that's the role that I'm in. We see how we can actually impact people's lives and make it slightly better. What does that translate to? It means uh, more time for them to focus on the things that they really want to do. More, times for them, more time for them to actually be able to go home on time instead of like dealing with uh, uh, you know, nonsense that appears out of nowhere. More, uh, less stress, uh, less and, and hence less burnout. Um, so in these like microscopic ways, I mean, and I'm, when I say microscopic, I mean, I, I look at the entirety of, the, of human existence it's the changes that we are making and helping to enable are just tiny compared to all of humanity. Mm -hmm. But the reality is we we can make a difference. And if when you have thousands of companies, startups, creators, founders who are doing the same thing, in aggregate, all of a sudden, these microscopic improvements in people other people's lives all add up and they change the world and although it again this is a tiny component of of everything ultimately i i feel like i i have an impact um I, i've worked at large organizations the largest company i've worked for was had uh i think had two hundred and thirty thousand employees at that point in time when i worked there probably more now and when you go to work, you don't really feel like you're accomplishing anything. Yeah. And you feel like you are this, not even a cog in the, in the whole machine. You're, you're, way, you're less than that. You might be half a tooth on a, on a, on a cog of a wheel that, that exists in a much, much larger machine. And you can be taken out and, and replaced anytime. Yeah. Pretty much, yeah. Here in an organization like this, where there are only 20 plus of us, um, if I was taken out, the impact would be significant. But on the flip side, which is what I want, really want to focus on, the changes and the, the positive things that I do, and hopefully there are more positives than negatives because we're, you know, marketing is all, a lot about experimentation and trying different things. Hopefully the, the net gain is, um, results in something meaningful for us. And that helps us to 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 accomplish our goals. So, yeah, that's, that's why I do what I do. No, perfect. Now that's thank you for clearing up. That is that's awesome. Like, say, Hubsker, we're a startup ourselves, and it attracted me to it because 
like I say, I'm highly optimistic about the future. And when you do go to a startup, the, the world is your oyster. You don't know how it's going to change. You don't know what you're going to be like in a year time, two years time, even three down the road. Whereas you do go to a large organization, you are just, like I say, a tooth or, or part of a cog. You're just a number on a spreadsheet, which you're not making any Precisely. any yeah. impact. And like I say, you, you're easily replaced where you come to a startup. And it is more exciting. It feels more like a a team slash family environment, which you can all get back to get behind the whole vision and you're all aligned on one, one specific journey and what you're trying to achieve, which is fantastic. And the reality is, Connor, it's where you spend the majority of your time. Exactly. So, it has to be meaningful to you. It has to, you know, it has to fit within like what you believe is important to you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Of course you do. Like you say, money is important, but for me and I guarantee for most people out there, like I say, you spend eight, nine, ten hours sometimes, depending on what role or what day it is, yes. 12 hour days. Do you want to spend half your life in a company or an organization you're not inspired by or don't even want to work there or enjoy your time? No, you'd rather work for... Yeah, life's too short for that, man. Of course, you know, it's is. easy It's easy to say when, when the the market is flush with jobs and that everybody's gainfully employed and all that. Uh, but in, you know, in an ideal scenario, is, you know, if you're not happy in your current role and there are opportunities to move somewhere else where you believe you can do something that's more aligned with your interests or more aligned with your ethos or what you expect from a an employment situation, then... Uh, I strongly encourage people to move on. And it's only something that you can actually see in retrospect. I mean, I look back on my career that spans over two decades and I can say that now. I would not have said this 20 years ago when I was just hoping not to lose my job by screwing up, <laughs> by not screwing up. So. No, perfect. And a little bit more about Oxide, obviously, we mentioned earlier, VP of marketing. You've been there just over nine months now. Can you talk a bit more about your journey since joining Oxide? Yeah, it's been an interesting journey. I'm the first marketing hire. In fact, I'm the only. I'm still the only marketing person, the full, uh, only dedicated marketing person. Uh, we have an agency that helps us with graphic design and our website. And then, as and when necessary, I pull pull in contractors to perform you know, sp specific needs that we have. Uh, it's a really, really interesting place to be, because you know, for a number of reasons. One, we're very optimistic about what we're doing. We legitimately believe that the work that we're doing and the product that we're building has a material impact on business as well as in, on people's lives. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I'm driven partially by that, by that vision. Also driven partly by the fact that I get to experiment a lot. Um, I work with uh, two, the two co-founders and our VP of product and the exec team. And they, you know, uh, I, I work for an Israeli company, so they're very direct, first of all, which is amazing. I, I, yeah. um, I love that. Uh, they're also very open to trying different things. And also while they'll push back, if they see something that they don't understand or, or don't necessarily agree with, at a fundamental level, I know that they trust me to do my work uh, and that they trust me to do what's best in the interest of the company. Um, so that experience has been amazing. And it's also given me an opportunity. And this is really interesting. Uh, so I grew up Catholic. I grew up going to Sunday school, learning about, you know, learning about the Bible and all the historical references. Uh, but, you know, a lot of the, most of it is based, uh, uh, has, has references that, oh, sorry, has, has stories and places and people that 
are based, you know, in Israel. So I've had an opportunity to travel to Israel twice now and actually got to go to Jerusalem uh, in December last year. And seeing all these things that I read about or saw pictures of pictures, not even pictures, but drawings of when I was growing up come to life was has been an incredible experience. So it's the the sum of my different experiences related to work, my professional interests, uh, being able to to you know, br I guess bring to life the the lessons that I learned as a as a young Catholic boy, um, and also being able to work with people who are aligned in focus and in the direction, and who have uh, a tremendous amount of for whom we have a tremendous amount of mutual respect is has been an incredible experience so far yeah perfect no thank you for thank you for telling that like I say I'm quite jealous we've got to visit Jerusalem we we went to Cybertech in Tel Aviv in January and nice. unfortunately didn't get chance to go there so next year yes I'll definitely be attending and visiting Jerusalem definitely but no thank you for thank you for mentioning that and uh, with Voxide now what does the future look like what is what are the plans for the future try to grow the company as well as we can. Um, and I, growth is not necessarily just about acquisition of customers, mm -hmm. but also building out um, a team that uh, that is culturally aligned. And when I say culture, I refer more to how we treat people, how we listen and pay attention to what our customers and potential customers are saying, how we approach the process of um, sharing our message and trying to cut through the noise in how we respond to uh, to our existing customer base as well as respond to potential customers. I, I, I think the focus is only on those things. We believe that if we do those things right, uh, we have a product that has a, a very, like I, I meant, I've said this earlier, has a legitimate value proposition. I've, I've worked at organizations where it's <laughs> the 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 product or the messaging was stronger than the actual than the actual product I sh i'll just leave it at that um and you know we believe that um the future is very bright for us application security is not going to go away no um in fact there's there's an increasing amount of attention being paid to it uh, on one hand like the supply chain security s bomb type stuff which is something that we do um, but also about fundamentally about securing your applications and make sure that they're not um, they're not susceptible to to uh, attackers um, to successful attacks no yeah no perfect quite looking forward excited to see what the future holds of Oxide. obviously now i know we got to meet face to face at rsa which was yeah. fantastic you're actually a lot taller in person than before <laughs> <laughs> yes i am yep it's not it's not Most hard people to are surprised by that yeah <laughs> But um, I'm curious to know, because I've, I've attended three conferences this year now, and obviously do they do cost a lot of money to attend? And if you're in your position, have a booth. Uh, how would you actually track or, yeah, track your RRI on conferences like RSA? Uh, we are fortunate in that we are an early stage startup still. And as a result, um, we get to attend conferences like RSA for I'll speak about RSA in particular we were in the early stage expo so the financial investment was relatively low compared to you know, some of the other conferences that we've been to um, 
how we track ROI is very simple. <laughs> does it turn into a legitimate, do, does, does our tenants there have a direct impact on the opportunities that we create that we can directly point to RSA and say, this was either the sort, direct, no, the immediate source of, of this opportunity, or if it was greatly influenced by this opportunity. Uh, because we may have made initial contact with someone else in the past, mm-hmm. but if it hasn't, it's if it's the the opportunity is kind of like faltered or or just remain dormant. But it's been resuscitated because we had a one-on-one meeting at RSA. Then I would say we would attribute that to RSA, uh, and the ROI is very simple. We know how much it costs financially, and. Uh, what what do we get out of it in return in terms of dollars and cents from a sale? Uh, it's still too early yet because the sales cycles are relatively long. And even within opportunities that we have right now, we've seen like a, a, a deceleration in the process just because of budget freezes and and things like that or, or resource constraints. Mm-hmm. So ROI, yeah, that, that's a relatively simple one. No, I was just curious to know because some of them booze especially downstairs in the main hall where oh. yeah they, it was ex, ex, extortionate I've, but i've just... i've talked to some of my peers who um um who were there and I, in fact i talked to someone i'm not going to name the the company because i don't want to out her but <laughs> i talked to someone with a very very impressive booth and she said that the booth itself cost them a quarter of a million dollars Granted, they they use it for you know at multiple shows, uh, mm-hmm. for a number of years, so it depreciates. You know, they amortize the cost over multiple users, but still, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars for just a booth. I mean, I I would love to have that as as my annual budget. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, they've got to track their RI quite. Uh, specifically and focus yeah. on that definitely I, I i think it becomes really really difficult to track your roi unless rsa and i have a, a friend who was also at rsa uh, at a different company and she says that the vast majority of the opportunities comes from rsa they 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 don't it's it she i think if i remember correctly she said that anywhere from 60 to 70 percent of the annual opportunities can be directly be attributed to RSA. So then wow. it becomes a lot easier to track. Yeah. But if you have a large booth, like, you know, the, I don't know if you saw the Wiz booth or yeah. the Sentinel One booth. I mean, it's really, really challenging. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, definitely. I went to the, the Wiz booth. They had Meet the Wizard. With yeah, exactly. a guy, yeah, yeah, which it, it attracts a lot yeah. of people there. And I went your own there, custom definitely. sneakers too. I should have done that. I, in retrospect, <laughs> I should have done that. It's always next year. Yeah. <laughs> and perfect. Obviously, meeting face to face is fantastic, but working remote life has definitely accelerated over since COVID. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's a fantastic. We get to do this. You're on the other side of the world to me, which is fantastic. What are your actual thoughts on working remote? Uh, this is a really good question. I've worked remotely, if in essence, for gosh, 14, 13 or 14 years now, because I ran my own company. And I've worked um, the, I'd say, half of the contractors that I worked, I didn't have any employees, I never wanted employees. But half of the people that I worked with were somewhere else in the world. 
and almost everyone else who was who was uh, domestic lived somewhere else. Uh, and even if they didn't, I, 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 you know, even if they lived an hour or two away, I just, you know, it would be easier to just hop on a phone call. Yeah. Or on that at the time, Skype, you know, was just a lot easier. Um, I do think that there's something that's lost in, um, in the, in fully remote work environments. Mm -hmm. I think that there are these tiny little creative coll collisions, if you will, that happen when you run into someone just by chance as you're going to the loo or walking back from it or being able to just walk to someone's desk and say, hey, I need to talk about this. I think those things really add up in ways that we cannot really quantify. Oh, and yeah. if, yeah, I mean, if you look at Apple, I think they understand that implicitly. And that's why there's this huge push to get everyone back into the office. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think it's only because they've spent, what, $5 billion on the, on the spaceship <laughs> campus, but I think, it, I think they understand that, that it's more than that. And I, I say this because I read a book about, um, about how they, um, it's about Pixar actually, but you know, it's, re, it's somewhat related because of Steve, Steve Jobs. And, but they, they found that um, the, the space, and how they constructed the space and how they constructed even meeting rooms was really, really made, it made a big difference in terms of productivity and, and not just productivity, but, but the ability to innovate and create better. So when you are working remotely like this, where you are truly one dimensional at this point, mm -hmm. I, Again, I cannot quantify it. It's just a, a gut sense. Um, and maybe it's an antiquated belief, but I, I really believe that, that being close to your work, your coworkers, uh, having more than just, you know, a, a lot of these interactions are very transactional, right? You, you're, mm -hmm. not talk, you're not meeting to talk about social stuff. You're trying to get work done and then you basically, okay, I'm done. I don't want to be on, on Zoom anymore. Yeah. And... I think all those things add up when you work together in person. Yeah, it definitely does. I, I completely agree with you. I think working remote has an aspect to play because it does mean you can, like say, we can have this conversation right now instead of trying to come to America to do the podcast with you. And yeah. obviously we're headquartered in Dubai as well. So we've got a headquarters in Manchester and Dubai, which it does make it difficult sometimes. Like if you have people around you, you're bouncing ideas off each other if you're working from remote. Obviously, we do that to an aspect, but not every day. I, I physically can't do it because when you're having them difficult days or you're struggling and you've got no one yeah. to bounce off or even motivate you to carry on with the day, it does get deflating. So, yeah, I think it does have an Absolutely. aspect to play. I mean, you but... bring you bring up an excellent point. There's some I think that, that social support is, is completely missing right now. Mm. Yeah, definitely. 100% isn't it? It's not even that. It's like, like for example, sometimes when you're writing out an email or anything like that, it's, oh, can you have quickly come over and have a, a look over it? Instead of yeah. sending it to someone who's miles and miles away and waiting an hour or two for them to reply, you, you lose that urgency as well, which slows you down. I've, I read something really interesting which uh, recently, which is that productivity from, in uh, work from home or remote workers has actually decreased. Yeah, um, this is in, 
this is in contrast to, you know, around the, the time, just after the pandemic, everyone was saying that productivity actually increased. So uh, I think people, you know, just adjusted, you know, pre like immediately after, in the aftermath of the, of the pandemic, I mean, everyone was like, oh, I, I just, I don't know how to separate my life and work anymore. I, I, I used to commute two hours and now I have like an extra hour of, uh, or two hours to like commit to work. And I think people have come have come to the realization that hey, this is my time. I should, I'm yeah. reclaiming my time, if you will. And I think that's how you know. That's I think that's how we why why we've seen the shift. Yeah. Oh no, definitely. It's like even me when it, when it started HubScale, we was fully remote, and I live in a one bedroom apartment in Manchester. I was waking up, putting some clothes on, a nice top, so no one could see yeah. what your pants you're wearing on Zoom, and then uh, sitting in my kitchen all day, and then turning my laptop off and you kind of don't have that separation. I like to have the office area. You go there, you do your work, you walk back out and you yeah. forget about that. And it's your time to do what you want to enjoy. You don't have that actual switch off where work is from home, which it does get difficult. So no, I think working from room, working from home one or two days a week has definitely a factor to play because sometimes when you are in an office, it can get quite easily distracting having them conversations with your colleagues. But then when you do go home, if you have the separation, you can get that deep work done when you're on your own. Perfect. Mm -hmm. But there's nothing like meeting face-to-face. -face. Like I say, this is fantastic what we're doing now, but it was it was even better to meet you in person. And it probably increased our relationship a lot more by doing meeting in person. Yeah. Happy hours via Zoom is not the same as having <laughs> it's, it's not the same. in person. <laughs> but like you say, obviously, companies still are work remote quite a lot of them are fully remote from your experience throughout the past how do you actually manage teams remotely and keep everyone aligned to the same vision that's a challenging part um i i think by meeting for me one thing i like to do is to meet frequently um i, I shouldn't say f frequently but regularly as as a fundamental rule it's part of my philosophy if I've hired someone, I trust them to do the work. <laughs> I'm not going to micromanage them. I'm not going to look over their shoulders and track their activities. I know that some companies and some organizations have these things where they're, <laughs> people have to check in by like, like that they, they, they install software that tracks their workers' productivity and all that. I'm like, I don't, I really don't care. Um, I've done enough in the realm of marketing to understand what productivity looks like and what that results, uh, what that translates to in terms of output. So for me, it's easy to, it's easier to tell if someone is slacking off or if, you know, there's some, uh, and it's not just slacking off that pe people have lives, right? I mean, people get sick, people have children that they, they need to, to attend to their needs and all that. So I'm sensitive to that as well. But um, checking in regularly, uh, even if it's just Zoom, a Zoom chat or a Zoom huddle, uh, having a weekly meeting, making sure that every single week we have a meeting where everyone discusses what they've done over the last week, what they plan to do the following week, what help they need from someone else within the team in order to accomplish their goals or to fix a problem or challenge that they're facing. Those are some of the tech you know, I guess the, the things that I do to try to maintain 
uh, productivity in, in a remote work environment. And I've been a part of one, uh, three, I think three organizations right now where I've had to do that. Um, so I, you know, I'm sure it can always be improved, but for the most part, I think um, I've managed pretty well so far. Yeah, definitely. Like you say, when you're hiring people underneath you, you've got to have that trust, especially working remote. I think that's the best way to manage and lead and actually get people happy. Because personally, from my experience, I wouldn't want software on my laptop because it just kind of demotivates me. And people saying, oh, all your KPIs are specific targets. Yeah. Yes, you need to be able to track stuff for yourself, but I don't want someone telling me when you've got all that, it kind of makes it that you, you do this and that is it. Whereas you leave them, you hire someone because of their expertise and experience. So you've got to give them that trust, be able to get on with the job, what they need to do. Yeah. And if they're not, you'll find out soon enough if, they, if, they, if they're lying to you or anything like that. I, I mean, if you want a robot, buy a robot. <laughs> yeah. Jack TP is going to be soon in, in robot form soon. So you'll be able to just have one there. <laughs> yeah. I was only half joking there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Tesla carries on the way he's going. Elon will have them AIs out soon enough. Yeah. <laughs> Hopefully not, because that does scare me a little bit. But no. Uh, we, we just have to evolve, I guess, in terms of you know what what we and we end up contributing to society as humans. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hopefully it's not a... That, what's that Will Smith from iRobot? Hopefully nothing I like that happens. I actually have not watched that movie, so... It's a fantastic Maybe movie, to be fair. Yeah. Yes. And Brandon, no, thank you for all the information so far today. It's been a really enjoyed this podcast and this discussion. But throughout your career or even outside of work life, what is some of the uh, best advice you've been given and why? Oh, gosh. Um, I, it's funny because I've never said this to anyone before. But in my first job right out of university, some... I, and I don't recall the circumstances that, that led to this, but the person said to me, and he wasn't really an influential person in my, I don't consider him a super influential or haven't considered him a super influential person until at this point in time. He said to me, nobody is going to look out for you as much as you will need to for yourself or something along those lines. And that's the truth. Yeah. You will have advocates, you will have supporters, but ultimately, man, if you're not watching out for yourself and being mindful of your future and what you need to do to build the future that you want for yourself, nobody else is going to, to do it for you. Um, I will say that as one thing. And another thing as someone who, I enjoy doing creative things, building stuff, fabricating with wood and metal, with making videos and taking photographs. I, when I ran my own marketing agency, I got to exercise all of these interests and, and make a living from it. But for those people who own, you know, for anyone who's been sold on the idea that do whatever you love and the money will follow, I, no. <laughs> I, it's, it, the only times you ever hear it are when people who've been, who've managed to be successful or who've, who've managed to make a, a, a I guess a creative life work for them financially. That's the only time you ever hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, there are too few of those examples. The, the reality is I, I don't know. I mean, I, it's, it's, it's a bad piece of advice. 
Yeah, no, I, I do agree with you, especially on the, the first piece of advice. Have you ever heard of, uh, a, a, what was he called, Jim Jim Ron? No. He's basically, he, he passed away years ago, but he's a US personal development speaker. And one of the lines he says, and it kind of sticks in my head all the time, is the major key to a better future is you. No one's going to do the work for you, realistically. You've got to put that yeah. in. And if, if you think someone's going to hold your hand and give you new roles and opportunities without putting in the work, then then you're very deluded. Yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll cite one person. Uh, Chuck Close is a famous uh, artist. And he said, inspiration is for amateurs. The rest of us just show up and do the work. Yeah. And that's how you derive inspiration, right? You just put in the work. And then you as you do the work, you discover new things. You make mistakes, you learn lessons, and then you improve. So, <laughs> no, perfect. Thank you for clearing that up. And Brandon, last question before you go: Where do you actually um, see yourself in the next five years? <laughs> I I don't predict the future, Connor. Uh, <laughs> my hope is that, um, hopefully, Oxi will be much much further along at that point. Um, it's impossible to say. I, I, I don't. I don't know. Uh, hopefully, in in um, hopefully healthy and happy and professionally fulfilled. That's all I can. That's all I can hope for. No, perfect, Brandon. Thank you for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. It's been my pleasure, Connor. Thank you so much.